Hey, over the past month, we've been following the ups and downs and the highs and lows of a man named Joseph, but more than just studying the life of a man, more importantly, we've been looking at how and where God was and is in Joseph's life as his life kind of went, you know, for, for better or worse. And over the last month so far, and this is like the halfway point through our series, but the theme pretty much so far has been this, God was with him. You see that over and over all through the story, God was with Joseph. And that literally means this, is that no matter what was going on in Joseph's life, God was protecting him and providing for him and kind of propping him up and holding him together. Even, even when it didn't look like or feel like God was even paying attention, let alone helping, Joseph eventually gets to a point we're going to look at today that, that he can look back and say, now it's starting to make sense, or, or now I see that God was there. It didn't feel like it in the moment, and, but, but he was there. And we've all been in times of our life like that. And probably the thing to remember, if you have to leave early today, but please don't, but if you have to leave early, here's, here's the, the takeaway that I want you to remember. It wasn't until almost 30 years after he was first thrown in a well by his brothers. Almost 30 years down that long and broken road of pain and suffering and, and betrayal and misunderstanding and unfair accusations and just horrible circumstances, did any of the dots of his life start connecting? You know what I mean? At least in the big areas of life. Oh, only almost at the end of his life did he finally see how a few of the hows and whys started finding answers. Not all of them, but some of them. Now he could kind of look at his life and go, I'm starting to understand a little bit. And that's what we're going to pick up today, all right? Just like Joseph had said, told the king last week where we left off, this big famine is going to hit your country and you need to store up food. And so over the last like seven years, they've been doing that. It's now two years into this famine and Egypt and all the countries around Egypt have run out of food. You got to read this whole story if you've missed it, but it's, it's right there. It's probably the, the best seven or eight chapters in a row in the Bible. It's just a, a great story. But we're going to pick up two years into the famine. The whole world, at least that corner of the world, has run out of food and people are starting to starve to death. But a message kind of goes out from the palace. Hey, Joseph, the guy who works for Pharaoh, he's been storing up food and he will sell you food for a good price or he'll trade you. So slowly people from all over Egypt start coming to, to Joseph's office and people from all over the world come to Joseph and he starts to sell them grain so they can take it back to their countries and keep their families and their livestock alive. Again, just several hundred miles away, back in Joseph's hometown, back in Canaan, where he was kidnapped from like 20, almost 30 years ago, Joseph's father and his family, they run out of food too. So somebody tells Jacob, Joseph's dad, hey, there's some guy, I love this, there's some guy down in Egypt and he has food, he'll sell you food. So he, he gets all of his sons together, all but one, all right, the, the youngest one left, all right, he says, you stay here, the other 10, you go down to Egypt because there's some guy down there who will sell us food. Go get some and bring it back. And that's where we're going to pick up our story today. Genesis chapter 42, verse 6. It's in your program there. If you got a program when you came in, it's also free Bibles in the back and it's going to be here on the screen. Here we go. Genesis 42, 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Now remember, okay, remember this. Last time these guys saw Joseph was over 20 years ago when he was chained up in the back of the wagon headed to somewhere in Africa. So they're not really thinking, hey, I wonder who this is, all right? So they just kind of come in and they bow down because they want to buy food. Verse 7. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. Now again, time out. You know, over the last several weeks in here, we've been looking at the last 20 years of Joseph's life. And there's this theme that has run all the way through his life. And that is God is with me. 
I believe in God. I think he's going to take care of me. I, I, I don't like my life. I don't understand my circumstances. But when they threw me in the well, when they sold me into slavery, when I, when I was promoted a head slave, when I was accused of rape, I didn't do it, but they accused me of rape and they threw me in prison without a trial. When I was, when I, when I was, when I was finally released from prison after 13 years of sitting there forgotten, God has been with me the whole time. But can, can we just be honest tonight? Listen, come on. You gotta think, and this may be just me because I'm not, not a very nice person, but, but, but you have to think that more than once over the years when you're sitting in a prison cell, laying in the corner of a dungeon, you know, wondering wonder about like, I wonder what my dad's doing right now. I wonder what's going on back, with, back at home. You've got to think that at least once or twice he hoped for or wished for or, or kind of rehearsed what he would say if he ever had a moment like this, right? If I, if, if I ever have a chance to see those dirty, rotten, brothers of mine that set all this pain and chaos in motion, all right? I, I, I know what I would say to them, and I don't think it would be pretty, right? Don't you, don't, don't you have imaginary conversations in your head with people? Is it just me? <laughs> Pray for Jim, all right? All right I, I do. I, I have these imaginary conversations with people about, hey, if, if I could tell you, I'm telling you, I'll let you know what I think about what you did, and I think you're a low-life piece of scumbag crap, whatever, all right? right? I do. I, I'm driving down the interstate going, oh, all right, so if you see me, just pass, all right? But uh, so you got to think. And again, this is just me, all right? I, I think Joseph is sitting in a room, you know, next. Who they, where, who's the next people? Yeah, they're from Canaan. And then he walks to his brothers and bow down before him. And you got to think for a second, Joseph stops breathing. The blood pressure starts ticking up, right? Little veins in his head start sticking out. That's probably just me. But anyway, all right? Hey, time out. Let me ask you, what would you do? Well, what would you do if you were Joseph, in this situation, because now you have options. When you're 17 get thrown in a well, there were no options. You had no power. You, now you have all the power. You can do anything you want, and no one would blame you for whatever you choose to, the people, to do to the people who had ruined your life. So let me ask you, if you were Joseph and you had a chance to do anything you wanted to the person or the people who had destroyed your life, what would you do to them? And time out again. I have a feeling that most of us in this room are no longer thinking about Joseph. I think we're rehearsing something that's actually gone on in our life. And if I ever ch have a chance to say, no, now it's my turn and you're going to listen to what I have to say, it's not going to go well for them. Right? That's just true. Hold on to that emotion. All right? Let's go back to the story. Pick verse 9. Then he remembered his dreams about them. And he had a dream that they all bowed down to him. And there it's happening. And he said to them, you are spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. And you know what? You know what Joseph just did? He had an emotional response to a really emotional situation. You know what that makes, Joseph? Human, not superhero. He's just human. He's just like us. Because let's be honest, all right? If something or someone does something bad enough to you, painful enough to you, ruins or breaks or takes something so important enough to you, no matter, I, I promise, and this is going to sound very religious, but go with it, all right? I promise no matter how much you love God and trust God and believe he's going to take care of you, and no matter how much God loves you, I promise there are moments when the reality of what's in front of you is going to make your heart feel like it's going to bust out of your chest, isn't it? No matter how much faith you have. There are times when life is going to hit you so hard, your knees feel like you're going to buckle and you're not going to feel like I can do one more thing. And that's how I think Joseph is feeling right here. And so harsh words come out of his mouth. You're my enemy. You're spies. And the brothers argue. Oh, you got this wrong. Look at verse 13. But they replied... Your servants, they're bowing like, oh, he's mad at us. Your servants, I love this, were 12 brothers. 
They have no idea that he knows the real story. Your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now back home with our father, and one is no more. Which, again, that line would put me over the edge. Right, right, right. That, like, and if I was writing the story, if I was Joseph, I would look at these dirt bags. I have something else written there, all right, right? I, I would look at these guys and go, no more. So you got a long-lost brother that's no more. Guess what? He's, he's not no more, <laughs> I'm not no more. I'm more than you can ever imagine. And payback's a bitter thing. <laughs> Pray for me, all right? It's going to go bad for you. That's, if I was Joseph, it was, I was just poured out right there. And, and over the next several chapters, you have to read this when you get home. We don't have time today. But jo- over the next four or five chapters, Joseph messes with him. He does. He messes with him. He says, okay, um, go home and get your younger brother. And then... Uh, and then I won't accuse you of being spies. And, 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 and Joseph has a, his younger brother's back home. His name is Benjamin. He's his full biological brother. You, you go home and get your brother. Oh, we don't want to do that. So he sticks him in jail for three days to think about it. <laughs> then he lets him out. He keeps one of them and sends him home with food. But he sticks all the money back in the food bag. So when they get home, they open up the bags and the money's there. And they, they kind of look at each other going, we can't go back and get our brother. Because if we go back there, get this, ready? They'll accuse us of a crime we didn't commit. Does that sound familiar? I wonder why Joseph thought that up. Oh, maybe the whole rape thing, something like that. But eventually they run out of that food. And so they say, okay, Benjamin, come on. We're going to go back and get some more food. And, and they go back and they let the other brother out of prison. And he gives them some more food. And on their way home, Joseph has had one of his servants put a really expensive you know, cup in Benjamin's bag. And then he waits till they're a long distance away. Then he sends all the troops after him. And they catch up with the brothers and say, okay, we're missing a cup. And whoever's bag we find the cup in, they will be committed to a lifetime of slavery. Wonder where Joseph thought that up. And it's in Benjamin's bag and brings them all back. And before you get too hard, hard on Joseph, you know, I think, and again, I can't prove this. You don't have to believe this. This is me sitting in my office thinking. Scary in there. But here's what I think. I think over these four or five chapters, Joseph is on an emotional roller coaster. I do. I think he has this tug of war going on inside of him. All right, I think he's just like us. Because I, I feel that sometimes. All right? I mean, he's had a really hard, unfair life. He's, a, he's got these two deals on the table. He has these choices, and they go like this. I know what God wants me to do with my brothers. I know what God's telling me to do with my brothers. I know what's the right thing to do with my brothers. And, and so that's one of the deals. But I got this other part of me that wants to do something very different. Something that, that, that's really hurt and painful. Something that goes all the way back to I was 17 years old and my life fell apart. That part of me is a very different than what God wants me to do in this situation. And now I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with these jerks that are bowing down before me. And, and I've got to tell you this. And again, this is just my opinion. I think... He could have gone either way. I think until he finally makes his decision, he could, have, he could have gone either way. I'm going to do what God wants or I'm just going to get rid of you guys. And I guess the reason I feel like that is sometimes I find myself in the same situation. Don't you? I find myself in situations all the time where I know what God wants me to do. I don't have to pray about it, think about it. I can point to 12 Bible verses and go, I know that's what you want me to do. I just don't know if I want to do that. I, I, I don't. And you can sit there and go, well, Jim, you're a pastor. You should be more spiritual than that. Well, you're right. Thank you, all right? But, but I'm in good company. I'm not the only one, am I? As a matter of fact, there's a guy in the Bible who, who felt the same thing. This guy named Paul, all right? And if you've never heard of Paul, he wrote like a third of the Bible. So I'd say he's better than me, all right? He loves God, knows God better than me. But, but, but look what he talks about, this tug of war going on in his head, all right? And this is going to get a little confusing, but I think you'll get the gist of it, all right? Here's what he talks about what goes on in his heart. Romans chapter 7. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Anybody? Like four of us. Thank you. All right? All right? 
Verse 16, the rest of you will get on board with this. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law, God's law, is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. It's like something inside of me just is screwing things up. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. And here it is. Everybody in this room is going to go, whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to go, I felt like that. Here it is. Ready? For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Again, show of hands. Yeah, you're as evil as me, right? I mean, do you ever feel like that? Yeah, of course you do. We, We all do. I know what's right. I know what I should do. I know what God wants me to do. I know what they need me to do. And again, there's Bible verses all over the place telling me that's what I ought to do. But I don't know if I won't. If I can do it, I don't even know if I want to do that. I've felt that, and so have you. And so is Joseph. So is Joseph, I think, right here. And this goes on for a while. He's all over the chart emotionally until finally he decides, I know what I'm going to do. Skip down to chapter 45, and we'll see what he does. Genesis 45.1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. So he has all of his servants there. And he cried out in, in Egyptian, have everyone leave my presence. So everybody leaves the room except Joseph and his brothers. So no one was Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. But he can't say anything yet. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So finally the dam breaks, right? 20, 30 years of emotion and all these thoughts and stuff come pouring out. And he's just crying, you know, uncontrollably so much that the Egyptians he kicked out of the room are listening in. They're like, I think our master's having a nervous breakdown, you know, call a doctor, right? So so finally, it's just Joseph and his brothers who have got to be freaking out, like, what is going on here, right? And he starts speaking to them in their own Hebrew language. Look at verse three. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the understatement of the century, right? <laughs> who, who are you? Ah, there was great wetting of pants right there, all right? So verse, that's not in the Bible, but it should be. Verse four, then Joseph said, I just made that up, all right? Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. To which I, if I was the brothers, I'd go, no, run. All right, so, so anyway, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph. The one you sold into slavery in, in, into Egypt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Verse 5. Now, don't, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Don't be angry with yourself for ruining my life. God's doing something here. Now, skip down to verse 13. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and, and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. And I'm sure there's some other things you might want to bring me up to speed on. Can you imagine how awkward that conversation is going to go? Hey, Dad, do you remember about 20-some years ago, told you Joseph got ate by a bear? Well, psych. <laughs> it didn't happen that way. Uh, you know, but it, so they go home, and they, they tell him this story, and it, it, it's really awkward, but their dad's like, okay, push that aside. Let's go. And he loads everybody up on the wagons, you know, cousins, grandkids, all that kind of stuff, and they all move to Egypt, and Joseph and his dad are reunited. You've got to read this story later when you get home. Pharaoh gives him some really great land to live on because he loves Joseph because Joseph saved his country. Five years of more famine go by and then the rains come and, and crops start growing and, 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 and the, all of Joseph's you know, brothers and cousins and all that kind of stuff, they start having all these babies and life is really, really, really good. And then Joseph's dad, who's really old, he dies and they take him back to Canaan and bury back there on the, on the family farm and now the brothers kind of look at each other and they have their second oh crap moment of the story. 
They kind of look at each other and say, hey, what if Joseph was just waiting until our father was dead before he pays us back what we deserve? What if he was just waiting until dad wasn't around anymore before he gives us what we have coming? And who would blame him? And I think as they're having that family meeting, you can read about it later, as they're having that family meeting, they're thinking to themselves because if anybody did to me what we did to Joseph, it's not going to go well for him. So they go see Joseph, knock on the door, and kind of crawl in before him. Genesis chapter 50, verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, and pay attention to this, don't be afraid, at least don't be afraid of me. Am I in the place of God? Am I God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. And here it is. We've been studying Joseph for the last four weeks. Here's, I think, the key takeaway from the first four weeks of this series. And it looks like that. Take everything away. You intended to harm me. That's what you, that's you tried to do to me. But God intended it for good. And literally, if you take the Hebrew language this is written in, it translates this way. You intentionally set out to do evil against me. It wasn't an accident. You planned this out and came after me. You had a plan to ruin my life, and you tried. But God... <laughs> who is God, intentionally leveraged it. All your evil things that you tried to do against me, he leveraged it for good. Or to put it kind of in the questions, the mojo questions we've been asking over the last month in here is, can you have faith that if God really is God, then you're not? You don't have to try to be? Can you believe that God, if God is God and he's got everything under control, that you aren't God and you don't have to try to be? And the other question is, when somebody intentionally sets, if God really is God, if someone intentionally sets out to do evil against you, can you believe, can you have faith, can you lean your life against this, that God will leverage that evil that they're doing to you for the good of those who love him, just as he promises to do? Can you get there? Now, before you answer that question, I want to introduce you to somebody. We don't have a lot of guest speakers around here because Scott and I are selfish. We just don't like to share. All right. So uh, every once in a while, though, we, 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 we do this. All right. But I want to introduce you to somebody who's faced with those two questions every day she gets out of bed. Every day she faces situations and circumstances that are the result of injustice, of the cruelty and evil that men do to one another, the unexplainable political winds of war and politics and weather and famine and poverty and disease that are just unexplainable. And every day she has to ask herself these two questions. Where is God in the middle of this mess? Where is God in, the, in, in bad circumstances? And how does God want to use this evil thing for something good? And how could I be used to use evil for good? How could he use someone like me? I want to introduce you to Dr. Florence Muendi. And a couple of weeks ago when we started this, this series, Scott said that people in the Bible, they're not superheroes. They're just normal people. But if I, if I could look around my world today and point to three or four people that I regard kind of as spiritual or ministry heroes of mine people that I look up to and go, that's how you do it. Dr. Florence would be one of these people. You know, this morning I was watching the news. I was watching an interview with Melinda Gates from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They're spending billions all over the world. It's a good thing on AIDS and malaria and family planning. So they were talking and they were just talking about how great everything is going. But as I'm, as I'm watching that, I'm thinking, but you're totally ignoring the spiritual needs of these people. So even if you took their disease away, they have other problems. And because of that, they're having relatively little success worldwide because If money could fix our problems, they'd be fixed, right? There's there's not a money shortage. There's a distribution shortage or problem, but if money could fix problems, all our problems would be fixed. 
In the same way, I'm sitting there watching this, and in the past, many missionaries, I'd say most missionaries, as they've gone to other countries, right, have invaded countries, they do missions to people, but they ignore their physical needs and social injustice, and they just try to convert people like they're notches on their religious belt or something, and that's not very effective either. Dr. Florence, though, is one of the primary voices behind a world missions movement to combine both spiritual and physical and medical and educational and social healing. Her influence and her voice is being heard and felt around the world and has helped shape how we at Flatirons reach out to our community right here in Colorado all the way to our newest work in South Sudan. And it's an honor to have Dr. Muendi with us today. Will you please join me in welcoming Dr. Florence Muendi. Here she comes. Thank you. It's such a privilege to be able to worship with you this morning. Uh, I come from long ways away from here, so it's different there. Uh, What an honor. What a privilege to be here. Um, I live in Nairobi, Kenya, and that's where our ministry is headquartered. I'm married, and we have two boys, 22. uh, That's Jay, our son. And then we have a 17-year-old son, Jay just graduated from college, and uh, Charlo is uh, finishing his final year in high school. Um, But just back to what we are discussing, the two questions that are posed for us today is one, can you have faith that if God is really God, then you aren't and don't have to try to be? And the second question is, when someone intentionally sets out to do evil against you, can you believe that God will leverage that same evil for the good of those who love him, just as he promises to do? I want to answer those two questions by saying, God does. God is so faithful. He is so trustworthy. There's a song that we sing in Africa Uh, quite often, and it says it is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him by his word, just to lean upon his promise, just to know that, says the Lord. You know, it boils down to trust. Can we trust God? Joseph trusted and surrendered to God so fully, and it's shown throughout that story. That was his principle. It was a life of obedience, no matter what the outcome would be. And I stand before you today to testify to that fact. He is trustworthy. God is so trustworthy. Again and again and again. I have seen him and I have found him to be faithful. In very grave situations, in very demanding situations, he comes through. By the way, I've been in and out of Egypt, and I probably have been to some of the places where Joseph did business. I don't know. But that is not the way that I so closely agree with Joseph. I agree with Joseph because... And I'll just share three things why I agree with Joseph. One, I identify with him because he worshipped and he related to the same God you and I know and relate to. 
For me, it's, it's been a journey. I was in third grade when I was introduced to Jesus. A fellow classmate of mine, a fellow third grader, it was during recess, called me aside and told me, Florence, you know, over the weekend, I got to know Jesus. I am a different one now. I invited him into my life. He forgave my sin. It's like a new birth. He has promised me eternal life, and I'm found in him. And began to narrate the story of salvation to me in a simple way as a third grader would to a fellow third grader. And I listened and I agreed with her. And she put me aside to the corner of the sports field and prayed over me. And I invited Jesus Christ into my life. And that for me began a journey that there is a personal relationship with a God who is able to take us through. And this is the same God that I believe Joseph related to. He walked with him. He knew him. And I stand before you to testify, I know that God. I know his voice. I know his company. I know he hears me and I hear him. He's real. And we can walk through life in a way that God is our friend, we are friends with him, and there is reality there. He invites us to that. The second thing that I want to share about Joseph is that he lived a life of adventure, surrendered to God. There's a difference between inviting God into our lives and walking with him as a friend and actually totally surrendering our lives to him. Because it's at that point of surrender where the adventure begins. I knew God as a friend and related to him from a distance, keeping the control, being the leader of my life, and holding on to that. But he was my friend, he was my companion. And we walked together that way until I was just about to graduate from high school. And that was the time that I allowed him to completely own me. And that, for me, began the time of adventure. Before, my prayer life would be things like, God, do this for me, give this to me, allow me this, and fix this for me, sort of commanding him around me. I was such a child. And I remember praying that way in relation to my father. I was in boarding school, and my father was, was my hero. He was a very close confidant of mine. We would sit together for long hours, talking and planning and relating to one another. And his counsel to me was just so sound. Our relationship was very deep. And I remember this time people coming from home and telling me, you know, Florence, you need to pack because we are going home from boarding school uh, because somebody in the family has died and we need to attend to that funeral. And as I began to put my things together, I was praying that same prayer. God, let it not be my father. Let it not be dad. Anybody else, my sister, my mother, anybody else, but not my father. I couldn't imagine doing life, especially at that particular time of my life, without my father. 
It turned out it was dad who had passed away. He had been involved in a tragic road accident right by our gate. And that for me, taking that in and relating it to my prayers was my surrender moment. I told God, you know, you know best. I agree with you. Allow me then to have the strength and the favor to be able to ride on your wave so that whatever it is about me will be so totally surrendered to you that you will take me wherever, however, for your glory. It wasn't easy. There was uncertainty. There was a deep sense of loss. And through the time of grief, God invited me to that deeper level of understanding that you know you can trust me. You can lean on me. It will be well. It not only causes things to work together for our good when we trust him, but it also causes things that were meant for evil to actually be turned into our good. And God is so able to do that. He is so trustworthy. In my pain, I trusted him deeper. And it was then that I allowed him to completely own me, uh, giving him all that I would ever be, I would ever become, that he may use it for his good, to bring life to many. I trusted him completely. And I remember drawing the line in the sand and saying, Lord, we are in covenant. Whatever you want to do, just do. Own me and take me to wherever, however, for your glory. You know, that's a great release because that removes fear. It removes doubt. It allowed me to take would-be risks, would-be things that observers would think are risky, not good for me, to make those decisions and follow after God so that he can be glorified. It continually just removes any underlying agendas, allegiances, It completely frees me to hear his voice so clearly that I can follow it. That is surrender to a loving God who has a good plan for each one of us, a plan to give us a future and to give us a hope. It's saying yes to what is heroic, but it's also saying yes with equal passion to everyday, routine, mundane things because they all total up to worship to God. It may be happy or sad, it may be painful, it may cause you to be ill-treated, demoted, forgotten, rejected, but whatever the case, it's choosing to live a life of obedience and trust in God who is worthy and is worthy of our complete trust. It enables you to make would-be difficult, defining decisions in the right way, following after the will of God. You know, some years back, I had just graduated from medical school. I had finished with my specialties, and a great offer came my way, um, an offer that was relevant to my training It was an offer to take up a leadership position with the United Nations. And that was offered to me. And I remember praying about it and asking God, 
Is this for me? Are we going that way? And God clearly showed me, no, that is not for you. Um, Florence, I spoke to you a few years ago when you were asking me about what is your life purpose. And I defined it for you. I asked you to establish for me an organization that I can use to declare the glory of my, to declare my glory to the nations. So this is not leading that way. I even gave you a name for that organization. It's going to be called Life in Abundance. So this is not taking you that road. And I made that decision to turn down that offer, something that looked foolish to many of my friends and colleagues that time. And we began to take what looked like a downward trend for my family. Our sons were six years that time and six months. We moved to a very remote area and we settled there to begin to pilot what it would mean to involve the church in ministering to the poor, integrating the spiritual and the physical piloting things that would affirm the poor, that would restore their dignity, that enables them to participate in their development, that affirms them as made in the image of God. He gave us no guarantees, but simply asked us to trust and follow in obedience. We followed through not only to that tribe, but on to Ethiopia, And we followed through for the last 18 years. And I just confess to you, this God is trustworthy. He is worth all that we can give to him um, and much more. Life in Abundance is now serving in eight countries in Africa, in some of the most difficult areas, uh, dealing with some of the most horrific situations that the world can offer in our time. Uh, dealing with AIDS, dealing with war-torn situations, dealing with communities that are devastated, families that are broken, going to the worst of the worst, and dealing with them that they may be uh, restored back to health, but also restored back to God. It's such an honor. But this would come if we commit ourselves to something that is bigger than ourselves, And I believe this was the adventure and relationship that Joseph had with God. It's no wonder he could display what he did at every moment. He did not strategize, but God revealed it to him step by step. That is the plan that unfolds when we so totally surrender to God. The last thing I want to share with you, which I identify with Joseph, is living out that God-revealed purpose. We talked about first that Joseph worshipped and related with the same God that we relate to. And we also talked about that he lived a life of adventure because it was surrendered to God. But how do we live out that purpose once it's been revealed? From the story, I see Joseph initially getting prepared. Then he's given a glimpse of what it will look like toward the end. And then he's transitioned. He's repositioned. He goes through to Egypt. He's given instructions day by day, stage by stage, as he continually seeks God, listens to him, and follows through in searching after him. 
not so much for him, but for God. It's following the tragic passing of my father that I began to search God for what is my purpose in life. I took time reading and reflecting through the word of God. I took time to pray just to be alone with God. And God is so faithful. As we spend time with him, he begins to speak to us, revealing his purpose in our lives so that we can follow. He led me and prepared me. He took me through medical school. I saw him begin to change some of the specialties that I was supposed to do. We followed through in about, for about 10 years as missionaries in different parts of the world. And then he stepped in and allowed me to begin to see his displayed purpose as it came to pass. Then he enabled me. He enabled me to be in the right place at the right time. He continually just enables me, sometimes providing the right teammates or partners. It's just got to be God. As I look at every stage, I just see the finger of God orchestrating all these things. He has given us a strategy. He has allowed us opportunity of favor and protection, sometimes escape when we needed it. And it's only God. He is so trustworthy. You know, I can tell you story upon story of God at work in our lives, around us, in the lives of those that we minister to. But I have a feeling God is calling you out so that he can give you those stories, that they can become your testimonies of the adventures that you can accomplish with God. Severally, we are able to identify with Joseph and say, indeed, all things have worked together for our good, even that which was intended for evil by people, by governments, by communities, whatever. God is able to turn that into total good. I use my story not to in any way pride in this. No, it's to say in my weakness, in my circumstances, in my inability, in my limitations, look what God can do. Look what God has done. And I know if he can do this in me and for me, he can do it way beyond your imaginations for you and in you. This is a trustworthy God who favors all his children. As I have seen some people follow after him and surrender to him and put their trust in him, I've also seen other people who just turn away from that, make the option to reject that and begin to try on their own. They retain the control, they retain their lives, they battle a losing battle alone. They choose to live without Christ and miss out both here and in the life to come. Jesus gives us that life and gives it to us in its fullness. If only we would place our trust in him, we would surrender our lives to him, we would seek after his purpose, and we would follow as he leads us on. This is my wish for all of us, and may God bless you. Amen.
You know, so that's, that's the third time I've heard uh, Florence speak this weekend. And I, I sit down here and I get something new out of it every day. But what just kind of jumps out at me right now is that some of your hearts are beating fast because, and you're gonna say, this is going to sound really weird, but I do believe that God's finger is on your life and he is changing things around. And that's why you're in this room today. I believe that. I believe today could be the first step of a journey for a lot of you out of the mundane, everyday. I don't know what the purpose of my life is. This could, today could be the first step. Tonight at 6 o'clock, Florence is going to be down at the West End. I want to invite all of you to come back there just to take another step going, what, what might God want, want me to do in my life? And everything from just listening closely and figuring out what the next step is to, you know, come to South Sudan with me and let, let's, let's figure it out together. What, whatever that is, uh, the sky's the limit, but just don't waste your life. You know, um, we're halfway through this series. This, is, this wraps up the Joe part of the Mojo series. I want to leave you with this. We keep coming back to the same questions over and over, all four weeks so far. Can you believe that God is good even when your life is not good? Can you believe that? It's hard, isn't it? And can you believe that God will keep his promise to be with you even when it doesn't feel like it? It doesn't feel like he's going to keep any promise to you. And today, the question would be this. Can you believe that God can take something that was meant to harm you and actually leverage it for something good? And that's hard. But I, I, think, I think a lot of us can get partway there. I think we can say, yeah, I believe God can use parts of my life. We have some conditions on it, though. Like, I think I can trust God with some as long as, all right? The first one would be is, I can trust God um, as long as it's not too bad or too painful or too evil. And the second one would be, and as long as it doesn't last too long, then I can trust God, right? Like, if it, I can trust God from now till Tuesday, but Wednesday, I don't know, you know? Um, that's not really the big question. That doesn't take a lot of faith to make it from here to Tuesday. What about when it really hurts? really hurts when it's really confusing and it just doesn't stop what I've found in my own life is that in times like that there's only one thing that I and you and any of us can lean our faith against when really the really bad stuff happens and even then just like Joseph even though you know I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hang on there can be times when your heart's gonna like fly out of your chest and your knees are gonna buckle and you don't know if you can take another step only one thing will be able to hold us together and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's like Florence said when her, when, her, when her dad died, my options are either quit and go my own way and reject God because he didn't answer my prayer or hold on to his hand tighter than ever and trust him to lead me through this dark valley. It's the same choice you have every single day when you get out of bed. Can I trust God or do I dish him and just go my own way? Now, now before you start making applications or, or, or worse yet, roll your eyes because you think I'm about to say, so when hard times hit your life, don't be sad. Trust Jesus and it'll work out. Go in peace. If you think that's what I'm about to say, I'm not. I'm, I'm just not. And here's why. Yesterday morning, I, I got a phone call telling me that a 35-year-old friend of mine back in Kentucky has three little kids at home. He died of a blood clot. I did, ten, I did youth ministry with him for 10 years. Uh, not fair. And Friday, I sat in this room right back there by, by, by the sound booth uh, for a funeral service of a 21-year-old boy named Kyle who, who was shot and killed in a tragic misunderstanding. That shouldn't have happened. And Thursday afternoon, I got a phone call from someone whose full-term baby got the umbilical cord wrapped around its neck and the mom had to deliver a child knowing she was delivering a child that had already died. I'm like, ah, I got a grandbaby coming in September. I feel that. It scares me. Can I tell you what the application for today is not? Please don't go up to somebody in the middle of the worst moments of their life and say, hey, don't worry about it. God's going to use it for something good. Please don't do that. 
couple reasons. First of all, when you're in the bottom of a pit in the worst moment of your life, you can't hear very well. And the second thing is your timing is so bad, you're probably going to get punched in the face. At least if you say that to me at the wrong time. Because even if I know you're right and I believe all that's true, that God might or someday might use this horrible thing for something good or positive, the truth is right now I don't care. I don't care because I don't, can't imagine how anything this painful or awful could ever be offset by something good. It just doesn't, the math doesn't mat, add up. So don't tell me not to be sad because I'm going to be sad today, right? I can't imagine taking one more step without her in my life. See, here's the takeaway, I think. Having faith does not mean instant in understanding. Just because you trust God and believe doesn't mean that, oh, it all makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. It took Joseph over, almost 30 years to get partway to, oh, now I see. And it might take you a long time if you ever understand or if I ever understand. But in, until then, when I'm in the pit, the only thing I need to hear or the only thing I can hear is not, it was meant to be. Please don't say that. Don't tell me it was God's will for my life. And don't tell me all things work for good, even if it's true. The only thing I need to hear when I'm in the pit is this. I need to know even now God is with me. I need to know he's going to hold me together. I need to know he's going to keep my knees from, from, from collapsing. I need to know that even though I don't understand or like what's happened, I can still trust him. I need to know I have Jesus. Because if you tell me that enough times, maybe I can hold on to that thread of hope and it'll keep me going. So my question is, can you believe that this morning? I'm trying. But even if you're sitting here going, yeah, I, I, can, I can believe that. Here, here's, the, here's the thing, all right? You're going to forget. You know, when something slams into your life or some car runs into another car or some cells go crazy and somebody who cares in their body and it just, it just doesn't make sense, you know? It's, and you're going to forget. And Jesus knew that. And so he had this great idea. He says, here's what I want you to do. And right before they butchered him on a cross, ripped all the flesh off his back and then put spikes to him, he got all of his friends. Everybody had abandoned him except 12 guys and one of them wasn't very good. He left. But anyway, so you got 12 guys around a table. He goes, everybody take a piece of bread. Everybody take a drink of wine. They're like, what is this about? He goes, I know you don't understand, but file this away. It'll make sense later. What do you mean? In a few years, your life is going to get really, 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 really hard. And I want you to remember this moment. Because I'm going to die on a cross for you to show you my level of commitment to you. To make sure that, I will, that you know, I will not leave you. I will love you. I will take care of you. Even, even when they crucify you. So when you tend to forget that God does love you, that God is with you, and he is holding you together no matter what it feels like in life, he says, I want you to take a piece of bread and a, and a little cup of juice and remember, I am on your side. So we're going to do that. We're going to pass out bread and we're going to pass out little things of grape juice. And if, if that feels weird to you, just let it go on by and you go, am I allowed to do that? If you need reminded today that God loves you and sent Jesus to die for you and he will never leave you, then eat a little piece of bread, drink a little cup of juice. And remember the cross. Now I'm going to do something else. No one knows I'm going to do this. I'm going to freak all the security people out. All right, all right. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to sing two songs. And they're great songs, especially the last song. Don't leave early. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do after you take communion. Last night I was just blown away by how many people in this room are hurting. I, I talked to a guy right over here who's just shaking because he just got out of jail and he's not allowed to go home. And he said, I don't even believe in God, but would you pray for me? I'm like, you don't believe in God whatever. You need him. And we prayed right over there. So here's what we're going to do, all right? Anytime, you know, in these next two songs, we don't do this at Flatiron. So if you're going, do they always do this? We've never done it in this building, all right? So if you want to come up front and just kneel down here on the front and pray, bring a friend, come by yourself. If your friend comes up here, just come up here. We're not going to pray out loud. We're not going to get weird and 
hit you in the forehead or anything. <laughs> Why do people do that? I don't understand. Anyway, uh, I digress, but uh, we're just going to pray. I just killed that moment, but uh, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to take communion if you want to. And if you want to come up here and just kneel down for a few minutes and just pray, it's not special up here, but sometimes you just got to go up and say, I just want to kneel before for God. And you come up here by yourself, your whole family, your girlfriend, I don't, it doesn't matter, just come. Somebody may put their hand on your, on your shoulder and just pray for you silently. You don't have to tell them what's going on. God knows. Let's pray. So God, um, we've been studying the life of this man named Joseph. And, you know, I think thousands of us in this room have been sitting here just going, yeah, me too. Me too. I feel like that. If I had a chance to pay back evil for what the evil they did to me, I would take it. You know, I don't even blame them. I just like, me too. I, there's people in my life that I just, just want one shot at. But this doesn't lead anywhere. I just get more and more and more bitter. So God, I, there's part of that. I have some advice I'd like to give you what I think you ought to do to some people in the world, but you're a God and I am not. So I'm gonna leave that in your hands. So on behalf of a lot of hurting people, my friend Matt back in Kentucky, his family has to plan a funeral that they had not planned on having for another 50 years or so. For that mom who went home from the hospital to a furnished nursery. To someone in this room right now who's going, I don't have a purpose for my life and I'm just making it up as I go and it's not going well. To that guy last night who can't go home. To the person who can't wait to get out in the car and get a hit because their addiction is just driving them crazy right now. God, whatever it is that's going on in our life right now, we've come up before you and realize that you are God and we are not. So we ask you, Take this evil and these hard things that have been done to us and that we've even done to other people and somehow, God, as only you can do, because only you are God, would you do something that holds us together and, and maybe someday you could use us for good, but right now we just need you to hold us together. We need Jesus. Would you just remind us during this time of communion that we have him? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.